Welcome to the Gauteng Wholesale and Retail Seater Leadership Chairs podcast. Hosted at the University of Johannesburg's Department of Marketing Management, we have conversations with wholesalers, retailers, and industry experts from South Africa and around the world. We also speak with renowned researchers so that we can provide you with information that promotes excellence and advances the retail industry. A warm welcome to our listeners. I'm Dr. Beate Stiedemulder, your host and the leadership chair for the wholesale and retail Sita Gauteng. Joining me in studio today is Mahlatse, and she is part of the wholesale and retail Sita chair team. Hello, everyone. I'm looking forward to a very informative conversation today. Our topic of the day is fuel retailing, and our guests are Mr. Cizwe Sebeka and Professor Marius Waite. Mr. Cizwe Sebeka is currently the Projects Manager at the FRA. The FRA is the Fuel Retail Association of Southern Africa. The main objective and main business of the FRA is to observe, consult and negotiate on an industry basis on any issues relevant to the well-being and enhancement of fuel retailers. Cizwe holds a Diploma in Sales and Marketing Management from TUT, a Projects Management Certificate from UJ, yay, <laughs> a Marketing Certificate from the IMM Institute and also an LLB from UNISA. He has extensive knowledge in retail within the field industry and FMCG. Our second guest, Professor Marius Waite, is the head of the UJ Department of Marketing Management. The department is home of the most impactful marketing researchers in Africa and without a doubt the best place to study marketing and retailing. Professor Waite lectures in personal selling, sales management and international marketing and is the recipient of a Service Excellent Award from the Direct Selling Association of South Africa for his work on sales education. He has published numerous articles, and in particular on work integrated learning and the practical component of direct selling. So gentlemen, welcome, and thank you for joining us today. Morning, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Beata. I'm looking forward to the session. Excellent. So let's start with Cizwem. What are we seeing happening in the field retail industry at the moment? The question is quite general. So yes, <laughs> tell us. I'm talk also to us. going to approach it generally. Well, with the COVID that um, had recently been taking place, you know, the changes in our country, we've seen a lot of retrenchments and uh, short times because there's been um, a lot of, um, uh, or most people are actually working from home. So when you were getting full tanks on your filling station, it's no longer full tanks now because um, everybody's working at home, not traveling to the office. So that has impacted uh, quite um, negatively in terms of the uh, staff in the industry. I think that has been the biggest and most um, uh, negative impact that the COVID has had in the fuel industry. Either than that, things are still going okay with the price increases coming now the next month and, and two months actually uh, sus, uh, subsequent to that. Mm. Mm-hmm. So tell me, um, if fuel retailers were basically losing money on fuel, do you think they made up for it perhaps in convenience stores? Not as yet. Um, well, if I would actually uh, approach this, uh, in, it's two-pronged. In the townships, when we had uh, the looting, most of the retailers were affected because some of the filling stations, the convenience stores were looted. Um, and so they suffered the same effect with other guys, all your, your, your big chains. 
But in the suburban areas, um, you know, I'm not quite sure if they really did make up uh, because I know that the life was normal in terms of uh, shopping um, in our chain stores. So, um, yeah, well, 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 some of these uh, um, convenience stores make a good profit more than sometimes the actual <laughs> fuel itself. Mm. So, yeah, the the ones that we, we're continuing at that time, yeah, I think uh, they did quite well. Okay, excellent. And would you say your typical franchises like, uh, let's say, for example, the Pick and Pay Express or a Woolies Food, are there particular franchises of food retailers that, you know, partner with fuel retailers that you think do better than others or... Yeah, absolutely. I think in my area, particularly, I there's a um, one of the filling stations that has partnered with Woolies, and that, that place is quite busy. I mean, there's a one in Rosebank. I think it's Rosebank. Yes. There's an engine garage there at the corner, and wow. there's a Woolies there. That Woolies is quite busy. So there are some of these uh, oil companies that have partnered with these uh, retail chains that are doing quite well. Hmm. I think mainly it's the position. And actually, the target market that they they're out to get, and I really think they do, because as you're filling up, you're also going into the store and uh, getting whatever you need. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I mean, Rosebank and Woolies is a good combination. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> it definitely works well. Absolutely, excellent. Let's go a little bit over while we're on the convenience stores, Professor Wait. You recently worked on a master's degree with one of your students talking about loyalty programs um, with fuel retailers. Tell us a bit more about the kind of loyalty programs that we get. Um, Beata, this research was actually mind-blowing, especially with uh, the results in the South African context, because we many uh, many times we often, when we read articles and all of that, it's articles published in European journals and all of that, so Research has been done in the European context and an American context. But what this research found was that the South African um, fuel loyalty consumer is not perturbed by levels of tears. Okay. So that means if you, for example, if you look at your discovery card or you look at your, your e-bucks card, there are different tiers on the amount of purchases you do every month. So you get points on based on the purchases. The higher, the higher the purchase, the higher your tier levels are and the more points you get. What was very interesting uh, when we did this research is we, we went to retail outlets. We approached people. So everybody within our target market were, were people who had some form of fuel loyalty card. And not a single person could tell us on what tier level they were and nor could anybody tell us what points they had. So from the fuel retail perspective, that, that was very, very interesting. So there are many, many different kinds of uh, fuel loyalty programs. So to give you an example. Shell has got a Shell V Plus card, which is specifically with the Shell petrol you put in. But there are other systems where it piggybacks on an existing system. So like for example, if you, throw, uh, if you put petrol in your car and you go to the BP Express, you can take your pick and pay smart shopper card. If you go to um, Engine, for example, and you pay with your credit card, you get e-bucks points, and that's how you climb. So there are quite different systems that you can use. But like I say, it was very, very interesting that um, the people don't know about the complexity of the program. They're not perturbed about it either, because when we asked them, wouldn't they like to know or wouldn't they like to know how to climb? They were not. The only thing that they're very interested in is to know that if I put 100 rands worth of petrol in, I'm going to get my loyalty points. 
That's very interesting. Um, I mean, it begs the question, why then have these loyalty points? What, what the, loyalty programs to start with? The, the consumer was very pertinent on the fact that they want to be rewarded for their patronage. Mm. So this was a method of rewarding them from the retail perspective. Remember, the purpose of, of loyalty cards is to ensure repeat purchase and to get a loyalty, a, a, a loyal person in. In other words, I'm going to stop at the same shell garage on my way home once a week to fill up my tank type thing. So um, the clients were very, very um, matter of fact that they want to be rewarded for being a retail consumer. Interesting. Feel retail consumer. Yeah. And um, I saw the other day as well uh, that you get, um, for example, with Pick and Pay Express you, uh, stores, you get um, uh, smart shopper card points as well, etc. I that's wonder. Yeah. yeah. So what happens is that, that's what I'm saying to you, you get different kinds of loyalty programs. You get the pure loyalty programs, like the Shell V Plus, which is you swipe it for being petrol. But the smart shopper, you're being rewarded for buying groceries and um, petrol so that adds the same system and that's how you can rush up your points but still to, even to that a level the, the, the clients don't know how many points they have I think it comes to the point where they they want to check oh I need to buy electricity this month or I want to buy this quickly then they go in and check the points but nobody could tell us how much how many points they had or what was the rand value of those points that's the other thing that we found out in in our research is was this is a very very complex system there is, there's not, it's not a system of you put 50 rand petrol and you get 10 points and all of that. Every single one of these loyalty cards, I've got about, we've researched, I think about 12 loyalty cards that are very complex in their makeup. Um, so you get points for rand value spent, then those points are converted into rands. But it's also, it depends on how many points you've gathered over the month. So there's no uniform system. It's very complex from one system to the other. And the clients also did not know how their reward is being converted into points, is being converted into rand value. Nobody knows. Nobody could tell us. Mm. So, and, and our investigation, what we did, is we found it extremely complex. It's not an easy system. Yeah. So, I mean, all in all to me, it sounds like it's this mystery, you know, the mystery of, of fuel retail loyalty points. It, it is. You can say it's a mystery. It yes. is. So what would be your advice to fuel retailers? What should they be doing? Okay. The research was very clear on that is keep your system simple. Mm. So keep it a, a not a multi-tiered level system. Keep it at a single level system and reward the clients based on that. So this client can go in, they can check their system or even ask the petrol jockey. That's the other thing that came out. Because we asked the people, where, what is your go-to system for information on this? And it was a petrol jockey. Hmm. Every single one of them said the petrol jockey must provide me with an answer. So I will ask the petrol jockey when you swipe the card, how many points do I have? Or I can ask the petrol jockey, what is the information on this? Or do you know how to convert the, the, the points into rands? So nobody or very few of the participants ever visited the site to check the card and how, how the information of the card translates into actual rewards. That's very interesting. So all in all, keep it simple. Avoid this, the mystery <laughs> and uh, make sure that your petrol jockeys are educated on it so that they can, can answer the relevant questions. Baseline. That's it. Keep it very simple. The African consumer wants a simple system. Yes. So is there anything you want to add to that with the loyalty points and 
convenience um, stores. Yeah, I, I agree with the professor um, on on loyalty points. I think keep it simple. Mm. Um, and I've got a card as well. I've got a shell card. <laughs> yes. Um, I wouldn't tell you exactly how it works, but I know that when I, whenever I fill up, I just swipe and I get points. Yes. Um, and at some point in time, I would have a hundred bucks because of the points that I'd fill up or maybe a couple or three, four tanks. Yeah. And you get a uh, hundred grand worth of petrol. But yeah, they are quite complicated, I must say. Hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Marius, tell us how are people's accumulated rewards spent with these loyalty cards? So one of the big concerns we had um, from the participants in the survey was that the pure loyalty card. So um, this was one but the, the V plus of the shell was one that, that people don't like purely because it's very restrictive in how those money can be spent because you can only go to one outlet and you, you have to sort of shell money to buy shell products type thing. And I'm air quoting now. Mm. The participants liked the options of places and products to buy when they cash in their rewards. So that's why the smart shopper system was very well received. And the uh, when it goes on to e-bucks, because e-bucks you can literally use for anything else. That was very well received. Because the clients felt that they are rewarded for their patronage, but according to the client's specifications. So they could, they cannot buy airtime with it, or they can't buy, or they have to go only into the shell shop, for example, to buy. So they're very restrictive in that. So that's one of the concerns that um, maybe for future that Shell maybe can look at in some of the companies is not to be restrictive in how the rewards are redeemed. Because that's one thing that the clients don't like. They don't want to be prescriptive in how they can use their rewards. Yes. And I mean, a good reward system can really differentiate you as a retailer and make it very attractive for people to choose you as their preferred um, place to go fulfill. Yeah, supply, fulfill. And I mean, you fill up maybe once a week, maybe once in two weeks, depending on how much you drive. But, um, you know, driving that a little bit further, a kilometer or two or three to get better rewards. I'm sure yes. that, that that will be something people will consider. Yeah. So, yeah. So we, we, have to, we have to go back to the basics of what loyalty programs are, and they are a initiative from the supplier in order to, to ensure future buy-in. Mm-hmm. Yes. So if, if, if that system of reward is good, the clients will come back to you and keep on using you. Interesting. Since I'm thinking if I'm a fuel retailer, what are my typical daily challenges and what are the opportunities? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we're talking operations now. Yes, I think um, operations. daily it's the stock take whenever you change shifts. Okay. Um, you would notice if you would go to the filling station when the guys are changing shifts, you're not necessarily getting a good service. Because they want to do their dips, check how much stock is on the tank and the cars are on the forecourt. So that is a bit of a challenge. But I know some of the retailers do it um, at night, like at 12 midnight or, or 4 in the morning before the forecourt gets busy. And then much of um, operations is actually with the guys uh, balancing in the convenience store mm-hmm. um, and uh, customer service. I think that is key in this industry. The petrol attendants are, qu- are under pressure, I must say, in terms of you get the nice guys that come to the forecourt, you know, they'll yes. speak to the forecourt attendant, create them high guys or things, particularly if you feeling in the same feeling station in your area. Like I do. I know I've got this one feeling station I go to. I know all the guys and the service is good. Yes. But you get the guys that are coming to the forecourt in a hurry. 
give me a quick service and there's nothing like a quick service in the forecourt because you got to make sure yes. you're filling in the right grade of fuel. I mean, the guys do make mistakes and you ask for 100, they fill for 150 and that 50 bucks is actually out of their pockets. So yeah. there's quite a lot of um, issues uh, going on. But I think uh, one challenging thing as well for the retailers is the fill up and runaways. <laughs> mm. So the guys would fill up a full tank and an expensive car. Like wow. I saw recently on one of the YouTubes, it was those big X5s. Yo. Guide fill up 1,500. And as the attendant was collecting the uh, machine, the guy was gone. And in that case, mm-hmm. what happens? What happens to the employee? Uh, it depends on the retailer, okay. I must say. Some retailers make the employee pay. Mm-hmm. Some retailers, um, they share the cost with the uh, employee. Okay. Um, and some retailers actually absorb the whole cost. Um, so it depends. Sometimes you don't know whether the guys are really running away or it's, it's the, it's, it's the attendance friends who were saying you come this particular mm, time. So you. there's, there's a quite a thin line in terms of knowing exactly who is doing this. You do get genuine cases where, you know, uh, the guy really didn't know anything about it. Yes. Um, so it becomes unfortunate if the attendant now has to pay um, for the uh, fuel that uh, was dispensed in this car. But um, unfortunately, that's the that's the rules of the game. Yeah. Yeah. So our system in South Africa, you know, it's um, and and I mean, I don't know how you would you feel if you go to a filling station and you want five hundred rand of fuel. And the attendant says to you, okay, give me the 500 rand first before I fill up. Yes. So you'd somehow feel like, no, no, this is not, you know. Um, so we used to this system of like just pour and then pay later. Yes. But maybe if we go the other way around, which is quite um, a challenge as well. It would be a challenge. I mean, change. Mm. Um, yeah. To, if you ask, particular, some filling stations at night, they do it. Mm-hmm. Particularly the night shifts. So they would okay. ask if you're filling up, are you filling up with a card? Is it cash? May we please have the cash first before we fill up? But they ask nicely. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, that has helped most of the retailers. Um, but where they don't ask, yeah, there's still challenges on that area. Yeah. So what would be the ideal model in, in your opinion? Do you think it should be like a split between employee and retailer? Or do you think the retailer must just absorb it? Wow, you're putting me under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> no, just in terms of what you think, because I'm, I'm wondering, you know, it's difficult to determine what's really fair in this, uh, if this happens. Yeah, you see the challenge, uh, like I say, it's a challenge because you know, you won't know whether it's a genuine thing or not. Mm. You do get attendants who get their buddies to come and fill up at a certain time because they will be on the shift at that particular time. Yeah. Um, and say, okay, fill up for a thousand. And, uh, when we meet in the, Wherever we meet, I'll give you 300 bucks or 500 bucks, whatever. Yeah. But you do get situations where there's genuinely someone that um, the attendant doesn't know anything about it. Yes. So I don't have an answer exactly to say, you know, okay. it must be a split or not. I think it's, mm. it's, it's based on that uh, situation at that particular time. So the retailers do quite an intensive investigation anyway. Okay. Um, they would check, has this happened before? Is it the same attendant? Mm. Um, does this happen only when this attendant is on the shift? So, so there's quite um, an in-depth investigation that retailers uh, okay. do before they decide whether we share the cost or I absorb the cost or it's the it's the attendant's cost. Okay, so you take it on a case-by-case basis, Absolutely. really. That Absolutely. would be the fairest, actually, mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Okay. And tell me, in terms of skills development and training opportunities, how... You know, what, what is the potential for someone to work themselves up if they start out as a field jockey, for example? 
oil companies have got their own training programs tailor-made for their brand. So they would train the petrol attendants on that and they would train the staff and so on and so on. And then the wholesale and retail CETA um, has got programs that are prescribed for generally for, for the, for the retail industry, not necessarily specifically for the, for the oil companies. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a better one because, um, it gives the uh, guys an opportunity that even if there's no way of moving from being an attendant to be a supervisor or you wait for somebody to die before you get a promotion, yes. <laughs> you can actually oh go to any of the retail stores, mm. um, when you have done the training with the seaters. So the encouragement that uh, we, we we actually what we're pushing to the retailers is uh, make use of the skills program with the seaters because you're paying the levy anyway. Mm. Um, they are paying the skills and levy um, to the seaters. Give the guys an opportunity to be upskilled, to be trained, so that they become competitive as well. Should they decide I'm going to go to a Woolies and apply for a job rather than being an attendant for the past three four years because there's no move, you know. Um, so the skills program with the CETAs, I, I really encourage, we do encourage retailers really give the guys an opportunity, let them be trained. Recently, we had a leadership, actually annually, we have a leadership program um, where the retailers have an opportunity of bringing in some of the uh, people around the their area for leaderships. And the CETA pays for that for a period of 12 months, hmm. pays sort of a stipend of about 3,000 rand. Um, and the retailer gets an opportunity to train these guys, um, and it's free stuff for them. They can schedule them on the timetables for a period of one year, and after that we certify them and we give them. And these um, programs, they are certified by the CETA, and the guys are able to actually go to any of the retail chains hmm. and apply. So they don't necessarily have to go to um, a filling station. So it's not bound to the filling station as opposed to the oil company's training, which is, you know, that's the oil company, that's where you are, and that's it. What short-term and long-term challenges do you see in the f- in the field retail industry? Short-term, obviously, fuel increases, that kind of stuff, but also longer-term, if we think of electric vehicles, etc. Yes, long-term, um, I mean, there is already some of the electric ve- vehicles that are being um, tested out there in the market. I think there's a BMW one. And uh, there are some of the filling stations that already have electrical points um, for some of these cars that are being tested. So that will be a challenge, mm-hmm. um, although I don't see it coming anytime soon now. Like you say, long term, long term yes. can be the next because I'm not sure if the our market is ready for that. Um, but more so the self-service, mm-hmm. that might be a challenge in the future in a sense that um, it will replace the petrol attendance. Mm. That's the training that is needed now, the skills development, because now if we become the um, UKs of, of, of this world and we start uh, servicing or going into the filling station, filling up our own tanks, um, then there will be no need for the guys. So I'm, I was trying to think the other day, I mean, what, where else can you redeploy them? I'm not sure, you know, in a filling station. Um, where can you, else can you redeploy the guy unless they are trained and skilled to go to any of the chain stores and maybe place them there or something. But um, training is quite important. These skills development trainings that we do is quite important. It makes them competitive out in the chain markets. Yeah, long term, it would be the self-service. 
um, which is also um, something that, yeah, the guys are really going to take a knock in terms of, of, of employment. Hmm. I've got a question for Sizwe, something that I always wanted to know. So if I'm a, a fuel retailer, the BP on the corner, and, and I buy my stock in, so those big tankers come and they fill the, the tankers up underneath the ground, they fill up, and I bought that, uh, that petrol at five rand a litre. <laughs> so, but the first Wednesday of every month, that normally changes. So irrespective of what I bought it for, I have to sell it at the new price. So I can sell my product for less than what I bought it, depending on what the government says, or I can buy it for more, depending on what the government says. Is that correct? Yes. So I can make a loss or I can make a big profit? Absolutely. Previously, um, the retailers would, were able to manage their stock. So they would know if there's a price increase, how much to buy. Um, so they would buy according to what they know. Okay, this is how much we use for that week before the price increase. Currently, I think there's a challenge with oil companies because now when you do electronic dips, the oil companies know how much, how much stock you have exactly on the tanks. So they would send you stock based on what you're selling, whether there's a price increase or a decrease. So somehow it's a bit unfair for the retailers. But previously, yeah, they would order based on the quantities that they know this is what we're pushing for the week and we will sell this either before the price increase or before the price drops. Okay. We've come to see a lot of um, private retailers on, let's say, the side of the road or in designated areas. Um, I want to find out what is being done about illegal fuel retailers and the dangers of that. You, that's a challenge. That's a serious challenge. Um, because for, for one to sell fuel, you've got to have a retail license. Um, I think most of what you have seen is guys who wholesale fuel or who have wholesale uh, licenses and uh, they would decant it and then go and sell it to the end users, which is actually quite dangerous. First, it eats on the margins of the uh, retailers that have got licenses for fuel. Um, and secondly, I think for the consumer, it's even more dangerous because you don't have a recourse should anything happen to your car. You go in there, you don't know whether that fuel is mixed with paraffin or whatever other content uh, that is mixed with that fuel, um, and your car gives you problems, you don't have a recourse. But if you're filling up in a reputable service station, then you know you can approach the retailer and tell him, look, I filled up here, this is what happened, how can you guys help me? So yeah, that is quite, it's quite a challenge particularly in diesel, because it's deregulated. Um, you get a lot of those. Sure. Scary. All right. So I think in, in summary for our conversation, when it comes to the loyalty programs, what I've got here is that we need to keep it simple. We need to make sure that our petrol jockeys are educated because they are the go-to person mm-hmm. for loyalty programs. When it comes to training, make use of the CETA programs. You're paying, you're paying the skills levies in any case. Mm-hmm. Empower your staff, train them. The CETAs are there to do that. Also, look at the trends and upskill your employees for the future. Take the self-service potential seriously. Think about electric cars coming in the future. These are realities that we're going to sit with. And then when it comes to um, theft and those kinds of, of aspects, cars driving away, I suppose it's best to look at it on a case-by-case basis. Absolutely. (laughs) That would be the best advice to fuel retailers. Yes, I think that's all from our side. Professor Morris and um, Mr. Siswe, thank you very much for joining us today. Greatly appreciate your time and for sharing really valuable insights with us. And to our listeners, thank you for listening and do keep an eye out for more enlightening retail conversations coming from our channel. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Pitti. Thank you, Prof. (laughs) Thank you.
You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.